what can we do to support this community to get access to clean drinking water in a way that lives into the declared intentions of empowered dignity, sustained ownership, and cultivating relationship. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the Past Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited about the conversations that we get to have with innovative individuals in the world of transformative education. And today is no different because today we're going to be talking with Kavita Tana, um, who is the founder of a social enterprise called Globally Reconnect. Um, She is a global education coach and facilitator of conversations with communities around the world. She coaches school leaders, educators, and community leaders to recognize the role they play in shaping the identities, attitudes, and behaviors of all young people. And I'm going to stop there because that alone is amazing. We do not do enough conversations that are absolutely by design inclusive. So Kavita, welcome to the program. And let's start with you sort of sharing the why. Why globally reconnect? Thank you, Annalise. And thank you for inviting me to talk to you, to have a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, it's um, something that I've really been looking forward to. And and I'm really fascinated by what words resonated for you. Because when I wrote that, mm. you know, sort of idea of, okay, what is it that I'm trying to do? Why am I here? Why Globally Reconnect? The fact that you sort of um, have brought up the word inclusive is really pertinent. It's really relevant um, in so many different areas of my life right now. So I really appreciate you highlighting that particular word. And and I guess, you know, the why of Globally Reconnect was really about what does it mean to be included in this, you know, in this world that we find ourselves in, world being recognized as a social construct, right, as opposed to planet. So there's, a, again, an intentional use of the word there. But also, what does it mean to be a member of the human race? And what does it mean in terms of this ability that we have to converse with one another? Because we, you know, we acknowledge that all living species are communicating with each other in in all different ways and, and probably having conversations that we're just not party to, right? But like when we think about the human dynamic, there's there's been a lot of studies done at this point. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of um, noise out there in some ways around, okay, what does it mean to be in relationship with oneself, with others, and with the planet? And the question that came up for me um, just before the pandemic, actually, was around this idea of um, what is it about us that makes us human? Why, you know, like what do we mean when we say that? Oh, I'm a human being, rather than a human doing or a human anything else. And so, 
that's really where the concept of Globally Reconnect came from to say, okay, if I am inviting all of us to engage in meaningful conversations where we might have an opportunity to reconnect to that fundamental sense of being a human being, then I think I want to be able to do that in a way that's global or holistic or well-rounded. And and so it's not just about self-awareness. It's not just about social awareness. It's also about that bigger why, which for me was more of a justice issue and, and related with inclusion and equity and diversity. And so then also we need to think about that connection to the planet and, and, you know, and mother earth. So, so yeah, so that's really the why it's, it's, how might we be more intentional about Mm -hmm. how we engage with each other, ourselves and the planet? Yeah. And I think, I think that's, it's beautiful. So I'm going to start with that just to, to really sort of echo the space that says we so desperately need the work that you're doing. We, we, we have become such a, um, divisive human organism, right? Maybe that's a way to think about it. And so we desperately need this. And one of my favorite conversations that you and I recently had, and honestly, this was so profound for me. And so I owe you a debt of gratitude um, for the conversation itself, because I've been thinking about this particular conversation thread that we had a lot lately. And it was a conversation where you were sharing with me why the, the, why you felt so compelled to think about the words thrive and flourish and how one has so much more meaning for you. And what I loved about that conversation is because it was transcendent. It made me think about myself and the bigger, broader work that I'm doing and the impact that I personally um, have not just in, in the sort of um, larger ecosystem, but on a very individual level. And that flourish piece, uh, super meaningful. So would you, would you share your thinking about these two words? Because I can imagine that if every educator that I work with could internalize that same conversation, it would be so incredible for kids. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so I, um, I guess, I guess what's coming up for me as, as I hear you say that is the recollection of, of this idea of, okay, what, what is the language that we're using and why do we use that particular language? Right. And Mm -hmm. so how did I get to writing the vision for Globally Reconnect as co-creating a harmonious world in which all living systems can flourish? And it really came from this idea that, okay, I was sort of launching Globally Reconnect during the global pandemic, right? And at that time, there was definitely a narrative of how do we survive this? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to just be able to reach the other end, the other side of this? And as it relates to education, one of the revelations that's um, been made to me is that there's also somewhat of a narrative around school that's similar, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how do I get through this stage of school? When do I get to live my real life? When does, you know, when do do I get to do what I was meant to do, you know? And it was that, Mm -hmm. that bigger purpose 
that led me to start wondering, okay, well, if surviving's not quite it, and then this word of thriving came along, and I was like, well, what does thriving actually mean? And it didn't bring up an mm-hmm. image for me. It just didn't, it wasn't strong enough for a vision statement for me. It just didn't have that power of, oh, if I'm thriving, then, and I'm still stuck. I still don't have, I still don't have that vision. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I, when yeah. I saw the word flourishing, there was, there was literally a field of flowers, literally, you know, the flower, the flourishing was easily connected to nature. It was easily connected to the natural way of being. It was easily connected to, um, another word that's a big part of my life, which is a key Swahili word, word, which is Ustawi. And Ustawi was a word that was brought to us by our friends in Kenya. And they've now sort of become our family. If you like, I, I refer to them mm-hmm. as my kids, <laughs> you know, that, um, <laughs> that they brought that word to us to help us understand that when we're supporting um, a community in Southern Kenya, we're leading them towards their infinite potential which was always to be living in a state of flourishing in a way of imagining a field of um, of all the things that mean that we are in harmony with nature. So whether that's food sources, whether that's trees because of the oxygen relationship, whether it's, you know, it's, it's creating that sense of, wow, you know, we're not just taking and plundering and, and raping the planet, really. What we're doing is mm-hmm. we're in relationship with the planet. We're, we're, you know, the planet is feeding us and we're feeding the planet in turn and, and, and this kind of relationship. So I guess the word that I'm thinking about is a symbiotic relationship, you know. And so flourishing brought up all of this imagery for me. Mm-hmm. And so then the wondering then becomes, you know, for me, like Annalise, what, what image comes up for you with flourishing and what image might come up for the educators that you mentioned and, and other listeners? Mm-hmm. It would be so wonderful to sort of hear that, you know, like what image comes up with the word flourishing? Yeah, yeah. And I think that the the other thing that's super powerful about that is it allows the individual to internalize it in ways that other words around our own growth and development and understanding don't allow for personalization. And I think, honestly, as I thought about that conversation over the days and and week or so since we had that, that's the thing that comes to mind is it's about the ability to own my own space, my own thinking, my own feelings, my um, my own recognition of my strengths and my weaknesses, my passions and aspirations, and my nope, I don't want to do that, right? All of that, right? That word gave me the space and grace to be okay with all of that sort of internal decision-making that I granted myself the permission to own. That, for me, was why that's so powerful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And when I think about translating that then into experiences for kids or for educators in the classroom, which is the work that you do, that gets me super, super excited, right? Because when I see really incredibly passionate and in-tune adults, I know that that's going to translate into experiences and opportunities 
that students can actually take advantage of, right? And that comes full circle for me, right? Because this idea of inclusion and, and equity and, you know, all of the elements of these conversations that, thank goodness, we are globally having, that's one of the things that comes to mind to me, right? Because opportunity is awesome, but we sometimes forget that opportunity is not enough. If I can't take advantage, that opportunity is meaningless for me, right? And so I, I love, I love this piece of our conversation because I think that allows our folks that are, you know, in the trenches, on the ground, really living the day to day experiences and understanding of the communities and the families and the children that show up and spend, you know, eight or so hours a day with them, a better, a better chance if you will, to be able to make a connection that can be transcendent. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And there's, there's something to add to what you're saying there because what, what you've really been able to distill in what you shared there is the importance of us authoring our own stories. And what you explained there is the feeling that I'm experiencing right now listening to you is that the transcendence is being experienced because the word flourishing, you know, you listened to my definition, but you created your own definition and you're inviting everyone else that's listening to create their own definition. And to do that in a way that is not limited by the five senses experience. It's, you know, it's bigger than, than, than that very physical embodied experience. It's, it's really, wow. Okay. We're writing our own story of, of what it means to live into flourishing. And that's amazing because, you know, when we think about the things that, that bring us joy, as we are right now. And conversely, we go to the other end and think about the things that make us angry, right? Oftentimes it's where the the anger or the frustration actually comes from when we feel like we're not writing our own story, that someone else has taken that power or that, yeah, taken that, that essence of what it is to be alive away from us, you know? And, um, and that's, that's such an important thing and it's such an important step to take, I think, to be able to create the conditions for us to each define our own lives, our own potential, and to recognize that sometimes people see it in us before we see it in ourselves. And that's that's been a really amazing thing as well that, you know, as I think I've mentioned to you a few times in, you know, in, in the various conversations that we've had that I don't know exactly what it is that people see in me, but they, they see something and, and you see something in me. And that means a lot to me. And, and somehow we're going to find the words to sort of, you know, distill that in some way. But, but right now it's just amazing that someone's seeing something <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, I, I've tried to find the words to share with you, you know, the, the something that I see in you, but, but yeah, we're still sort of working on it and we're working on it together. And that's really sort of circling back to the end, you know, the other end of the vision statement, you know, it ends with flourishing, but it begins with co-creating and, and, you know, and it's so fun to do that, to, to co-create this, you know, shared vision, this shared 
definition, the shared story of our lives together. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. It's very, very powerful. And, you know, and I think there's so much to be learned from that. And I appreciate um, actually bringing it full circle to, you know, as we were first talking about the sort of why did you create this organization to begin with? And, you know, I, I personally, but the, the crazy anthropologist, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerd out on you here. My anthropology hat on, my, my listeners, they're, they're used to me kind of geeking out in that space. But I love the fact that we we are talking about humanity, right? And what does it truly mean to be human? And it's complex. And I tell my own students that all the time. You can spend a lifetime and you are never, ever truly going to understand what it means to be human. But what you can do is learn to appreciate the complexity of humanness. And that's that's a tough thing tough journey. And it's a really, really hard thing to grapple with. And so I, I appreciate about that very, very much about the work and the way you engage um, in the work. And so with that in mind, Kavita, I would really love for you to share with us the, the, the work that you've been doing um, in Africa, because that's been a really powerful experience. And it honestly embodies everything that we've been talking about. But I'd love for you to share sort of you know, what, what is that work? Um, what, what makes it joyful, but also what makes it so hard to do? <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so my connection with Africa actually begins, um, you know, to join you in geeking out as an anthropologist, I'm going to, I'm going to play into that a little bit because my connection with Africa actually begins, um, with my grandfather because, or both of my grandfathers, I should say, because they both, um, took a chance, um, and moved to Uganda, um, as teenagers. Um, both of them, um, found themselves, um, you know, having an arranged marriage with my grandmothers, um, and then leaving their, their wives, um, and going off to, to follow, you know, the footsteps of a cousin for one of them and a friend for another and, and, and finding themselves in Uganda and, and beginning businesses and having their wives come over and having, you know, their children in, in Uganda. And um, we were actually in a fortunate position to be able to take my parents and um, other other elders of mine to Uganda last year on the 50 year anniversary of when they were forced to leave um, Uganda. Um, you know, Idi Amin kicked out all the in- Indians, to put it simply. But what we discovered in being together in those two weeks is that there's also then connections with Kenya. And um, that some of the elders that were there, their wives um, are from Kenya. And so everything started to become full circle again there because the work that you're referring to is actually happening in Kenya. And that work began because of um, a a somewhat random um, series of events where um, I'd met someone in China when I was working there for four and a half years that was from um, Zimbabwe and he shared with me his story of being in a very different um, category of income and lifestyle as per Hans Rosling's work from Factfulness. I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with his work but he talks about the income bands and how I think 
more recently, you know, there's this reference to the 1% and what it means to be in the 1% is actually earning substantially less than some people would think, you know, you're not, you're not in the 1% when you're the millionaire, you're, you're in the 1% when you've got a comfortable home with running water, access to food, et cetera, et cetera. And he was sharing with me that his story was very much in the opposite end of the, of the continuum. And, um, and that inspired me to want to support his studies. At the same time, uh, now a very good friend of mine, Katie Cunningham, who's written a brilliant literacy-related book, Start With Joy, but she had been developing a relationship with Jimmy Chengo in Kenya, similar sort of aspirations. How might we support a young, intelligent man to, to achieve his dreams, achieve his aspirations? And so when the when Katie and I were introduced and then we introduced Vavusi and Jimmy together, we realized that, oh, there's a special relationship forming here. And that special relationship got extended by Jimmy when he was invited by the President's Award in Kenya to visit the Maasai community in southern Kenya, in Kajiado County, specifically the ward of Mashuru. Because what happened there was that the President's Award of Kenya, which is affiliated with the Duke of Edinburgh Award, in my home country of England, um, were asked to build a school in a remote part of the, the town in Bolioi. Um, he got talking to the members of the community and they said, well, we really appreciate what you're doing for our children, but we also have other needs within the community. And so he came back to myself and my partner, Nick, and asked the question, could you perhaps, you know, use your skills of facilitating conversations and find out from the community more about what it is that they are, you know, saying, well, we need more, but they didn't have the words. They didn't know how exactly how to express it. So we took on the challenge and we were like, okay, let's do that. There's, you know, multiple language barriers because our friends, Jimmy and his team, Samson, Rose, Anita, Beatrice, Rogers, Derek, there's a, there's a big team, Liza, that's <laughs> evolved around this work, but they all speak Kiswahili. The Maasai community speak Ma. And so we were working through multiple languages. And then Nick shared that, oh, what might be helpful for us in this situation is to think about this through the lens of the school and how might we support the community to create a self-sustaining school. Well, that work is connected to a connection in Paraguay. The, the foundation is called Fundación Paraguaya and they have a self-sustaining school in Cerrito in Paraguay. So this is a very global story. <laughs> <laughs> so the global, it globally reconnects, Connect, yes, right? Really I mean, was. that's the beauty of it. That's <laughs> why I really wanted to have you sort of share this because the reality of this story is that the interplay of the, of the, of the planet, honestly, right, really becomes the foundational component under which you're thinking about how we can help a community, how we can redesign or reimagine what we think we know school means, and then how as humans we can interact and be part of this incredible ecosystem that honestly is largely out of our control. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's a really great segue for me to say that what was happening was that we were making all of these connections through the global pandemic and through a time mm -hmm. where more and more people were wanting to have a conversation about the impact of climate change, as well as the impact of 
um, you know, the murder of George Floyd and what that means in terms of how we understand diversity, equity, inclusion, justice and belonging. And so everything was kind of coming together in its own beautiful way where um, Nick and I found ourselves to have the opportunity to actually go and visit the self-sustaining or self-sufficient school in Paraguay. And in having that conversation with the foundation, we came to understand that, oh, your work is not driven by the school. It's actually driven by a bigger why. So where I am very passionate about reimagining education, I now um, share with the world that the, um, the second aspiration, audacious aspiration, is to eliminate poverty alongside Fundación Paraguaya. Because what they've been able to do is they've been able to find a way of answering the question of the founder, which is um, Martin Bert. He asked the profound question, who owns poverty? Who owns poverty? And this really comes back to what we were doing earlier. Who defines it? Uh, is it for us to decide that, oh, you're poor in this area, in this area, in this area? area. I've got the solution. I'm just going to come in and just do it for you. Okay, great. See ya. Move on to the next thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not That's not the way we, we need to be moving through the world. We need to be forming relationships with people and actually giving them ownership. And so what's emerged from this um, story, from this um, interaction, from this relationship is that we um, were able to um, go into a relationship with the foundation. They were able to localize their uh, poverty stoplight survey to become the Ustawi survey for the Maasai. So they, you know, we held focus groups and did field studies, et cetera, et cetera, did all of this work. And then we were able to move into, okay, by answering these survey questions, you identify for yourself what is your greatest need. You get to identify, is there any need in your in your life or actually do you have more assets than you realized so it turned the whole conversation into a strengths-based conversation where the community members realized that wow okay we thought that we were really poor and lacking but actually we've got so much going for us and that is our strength in our culture our strength in our skills of collaborating with one another and really supporting one another and our love for our children and them having a, a, a life that sustains the culture yet doesn't have the same level of struggle, you know? And so by having that shared conversation, that shared revelation, they were also able to identify that where in the ward of Mashuru there's these four areas all of the chiefs of the different areas rallied around one particular chief where that school had been built in Mbolioi to say, oh, and you also have the greatest need for access to water. And so we're all going to rally around you because we've identified that this is one of our strengths, that when we rally around, we're going to be able to more successfully solve one of these um, problems. Now, what's emerged in the last two, two and a half years while we've been doing this work is that that's fantastic. And indigenous wisdom has a lot of value. Our lived experience has a lot of value, but at some point it's not enough because climate change means that what indigenous wisdom we have, well, we don't have those resources available anymore. So for example, the trees where they were accessing water from in the past don't exist anymore. 
or not enough of them exist anymore. But the lived experience of, um, you know, accessing water from other sources, um, they don't exist anymore. So, you know, we can't turn to our elders and say, well, how did you survive multiple years of drought in the past? The solutions that they had don't exist anymore. And so what's happening now is that Globally Reconnect and and um, Samson Nikuri, the amazing project manager that's on the ground in Kenya, he's really working hard to look to scientific research and how might we join the community in rallying around Embolio and come up with a modern scientific solution while still acknowledging the indigenous wisdom and the lived experience of the elders. Because one of the things, you know, that that's sort of been very present for me lately is that when we're talking about this group of people, we're actually talking about the direct ancestors of our original human, you know, like this is, this is a really amazing opportunity for all of us to really honor where we've come from because, you know, their, their bloodline has been associated with the original humans as we know them and so there are times when yes I do feel slightly overwhelmed with the responsibility that has <laughs> been given to me but but it's also you know a really exciting opportunity to collaborate with um, a number of different people around the world um, particularly I need to give a shout out to the grade eight students in Westerville Ohio that have really taken on the mm-hmm. community as their own and um, and we're yeah they, they are passionately um, researching and now at the stage where they're setting up fundraising opportunities and, and yeah, just really community outreach to see, okay, what can we do to support this community to get access to clean drinking water in a way that lives into the declared intentions of empowered dignity, sustained ownership and cultivating relationship. Yeah, it's it's really quite frankly it's amazing work and it's um, it's deep 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 work that requires a lot of thinking and collaboration and um, purposeful intent is the other component to all of it that I I really really cherish um, you know and I think that the other thing that really appeals to me if you will is the fact that that purposeful intent has really said the world is our school. Right? We, you know, from just to bring this back full circle and recognizing that the majority of our listeners are educators in some capacity. Um, you know, I would argue we are all, all, all teachers throughout our lives. We just don't, we just don't step back and actually um, think of ourselves oftentimes in that way. But the reality of it is that as we move and shift forward, the notion of what and how we learn and where we learn and and, and the purpose, the bigger, broader purpose, um, is on a fast track of change right now. Um, and, you know, the, the pandemic didn't bring it on, but it absolutely brought the, um, the elements of this to the forefront of our thinking. And it, and it made, gave us a sense of urgency that, honestly, um, for a lot of folks, especially um, um, people that weren't struggling from from a from a wealth or access standpoint, just didn't quite understand how hard life could be for so many. 
And yet now it's right here. We see it's in our own backyards. You don't have to go all the way to Africa. You don't have to go all the way to India. You don't have to go all the way to Paraguay uh, to find it. It's literally everywhere around us. But because we didn't step back to think about the ecosystem of, of what we learn and what we're going to ultimately be con contributing to the world, it was really, really difficult for many people to see. Yes. And I think it's fascinating to think about that we we can now literally not just reimagine but reconstruct in a way we've never been able to do before or we chose not to maybe that's a better way to put it and that's that's a really powerful word right there choice choice mm -hmm. because we do get to choose we do and and you know and that's been a really celebrated revelation for the community in Kenya as well. Um, but everyone has suddenly started living into. But I can choose. I can choose to mm -hmm. to do things as they've always been done. Which you know, I think you've heard my learning fairy story. But but for the listeners, I'll mm -hmm. share that. Like anytime anyone says that, I have a tinkle bell from Peter Pan moment of like, oh no, a learning fairy is dying. Everyone clap. Everyone clap. <laughs> like to, you know, as, as soon as the phrase "that's the way it's always been done" is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, it's like, okay, we can choose to either do that or we can choose to be different. We can choose to be the change we want to see in the world. We can even choose to be who we want to see in the world. And um, mm -hmm. and that's that's really something that, you know, I'm hoping to be able to invite more and more people into. Like, who do you want to see in the world? And can you be that person to model that for us? Um, and, and, you know, that's, that was a, a little bit of a behind the curtains peek at how I tried to express <laughs> what Annalise means to me, because like, because I really feel like you do that. I feel like you, you live your mm. life in a way of like who you want to see in the world. And, and I see that and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I want to, <laughs> and so, yeah, but it's, it's important, right, to be that intentional mm. about it, to make those choices in that way and to, um, you know, in modelling with others, also be in, in collaboration with them too and in co-creating with them because, you know, we really are stronger together and, and you know, having Nick and Samson and, and another mentor of mine, Thompson Morrison, and, and now the bigger family that's forming around us, you know, of mm -hmm. yourself, Annalise, and then... Um, you know, we've got some other friends in Ohio with Linda and Tina and the kids. And and now we've started work in Ethiopia as well. So we've got Ellie and her team. And so, you know, we're just, yeah, we're really sort of trying to see, okay, how, how might we all come together around this and, and hopefully spark that curiosity that's the beginning of learning, you know. And, and so everyone's invited, mm -hmm. <laughs> come along. <laughs> it's like, this is a really fun party and, you know, and, and it really is about those unique gifts and talents that everyone has, because, you know, there's something that you're going to add to this story that I can't, and, and there's going to be something mm -hmm. that someone else can add that we can't. And, and so, so it's so fascinating to think about that, like what might happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, 
It's beautiful, right? And it is, in fact, our chance to globally reconnect. Yes. So um, with that, uh, Kavita, I want to thank you very much, uh, not only for taking time to chat with us today, but, but especially for the work that you do. It means so much to the world. And I'm super excited to continue to be part of your journey, to hear more of what's happening, and to be able to celebrate those pieces. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Annalise. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.